Welcome to On Message. This is Chad McLeod coming to you from Lakeland, Florida. Welcome back to the podcast where I am talking about communication tips for leaders, trends and insights into the public relations industry and the best stories in PR and communications. I have a couple of stories I want to cover this week. It's good to be back on the podcast. Got some good feedback and people who said, hey, I'm glad to see that you're continuing with On Message, even though you're flying solo without your brother and co-host of the podcast, Joe, who, as I mentioned in the last episode, has started a new gig as PR director for an organization called One More Child. But he is going to pop in here from time to time, so stay tuned for that. I have a couple of what I think are interesting stories from a PR perspective before I get into that. It is election season, so that's upon us in many states. It is here in Florida. August 23rd, next Tuesday, is uh, the primary, and so there are a lot of elections locally that are happening. And when it's election season, uh, I'm always interested in, in paying attention to what's happening with candidates and campaigns, as many of you are as well. Most of you know, if you've listened to this podcast, that I am a, a, an elected official as well. You know, in, my, in addition to my job as owning and running a PR firm that I'm a Lakeland City Commissioner. And uh, fortunately, I'm not in an election year right now. So it's an off year uh, for the commission, but watching a lot of the local races. And so I gravitate toward the political communications and what are the candidates saying and what are their messages like and uh, how are they communicating with voters? How are they standing out? All of that is and has always been for me fascinating. And so just watching right now, uh, as we head into the final few days before votes are cast on Tuesday, uh, mailboxes are being flooded with uh, direct mail pieces. And I, right now, I, yesterday, for example, found myself wanting to go to the mailbox to see what was going to be there, which pieces, you know, candidates are, are sending mailers. And so it's interesting, you know, direct mail, um, and I'm going to kind of veer off here into long before we started on message, the first podcast we had was called PR and Politics. And I know we have some listeners who remember that and who listen to us when that was the theme of the program. And, and in that podcast, we would mix PR stories, but also talk about political communications and messaging. We didn't get into the, the partisan and really you know, try to just keep a neutral stance as a company and Joe and I as host, but looking at what's effective, what's not, who's saying what, who's in the news for things that they've said and, and uh, all of that. And so talking about direct mail, I know when I ran for office and, and after the campaign and uh, winning the, the seat on the commission, people would ask about tactics for reaching voters and messaging. And it, it surprises some people that direct mail is still a very effective way to reach voters, especially your primary voters, uh, your party faithful um, tends to skew to an older demographic. But even, uh, you know, I mentioned I'm keeping an eye out for mailers and, and more from because I want to analyze them and see which ones I like and which ones I don't. But direct mail is and I think has to be uh, a tactic that candidates are using uh, because it is a way at times to, to stand out and to keep your message in front of voters. What I'm seeing is kind of a mixed bag uh, with the mailers that I've been receiving. And there's always a tendency, I think, whether you're a candidate or a company, an organization, that you want to share everything. We're always working with clients to say everything you think is priority one for your message can't be. You, you can't have 10 number one messages. And people, it, it's too much. People can't retain it. They don't know 
what is most important, what is the primary message. That's always a struggle to whittle things down. How do we say less and be effective? And so I've seen several mailers that just have way too much information on them. And I think it's hard for people to to know what to do with it, to, to really, and people don't sit down and read direct mail pieces. And I remember working with a direct mail consultant and ultimately they will do what a candidate wants. And so I think you have uh, times where candidates say, this is what I want on there. I want, I want all my 10 priorities, <laughs> but I had someone remind me. And, and I think this is really what you're trying to do is you, you're trying to get people to, to look at it. Uh, you want the look and feel to be positive. You want to align with their values as a voter, whatever it is you're, you're running for make that connection, but you have a very short window. It's from the mailbox to the trash can or recycling bin that you you have to get people's attention. Now, there are some who will put it on the shelf or let you know, someone else at their house read it, but most consumers, most voters don't sit down with the direct mail piece and just read it word for word. They skim it and move on. And so uh, I've seen some that are well done this cycle, and then I've seen some that I think need a lot of work. And uh, it's just a reminder, again, that you can't say everything in one setting, in one medium. You, sometimes you, you have to hold back. You have to reserve more of your content, more of your messages for other avenues, other places, different forums. And that applies beyond uh, political communications. But it will be interesting to see kind of what's happening uh, in local elections. And I mean, we've got a couple of state level races and school board races, and there's just a lot that's happening with that. So, uh, and then certainly as we move into the general election between August and November uh, here in Florida, we, we have a governor's race that most everybody is paying attention to. Let's talk about some of the PR stories that are happening out there. I saw a, a story about the CEO of Six Flags. So. Six Flags over Georgia and some of the other states. If Joe were here, I'm going to see how many episodes I can go referencing Joe and what we would talk about. But we remember going to Six Flags in Atlanta as kids growing up. The story that's in the news right now is about a newer CEO. So Six Flags, I guess financially, has not been doing well over the past few years. And so they have a newer CEO and he was on an investor relations call and was talking about some of the changes that they are making as a park, as an organization, and increasing their ticket prices. And what I think he was trying to stress is that they, yes, they're increasing their prices, but they're trying to improve the quality of the park, the experience. But he started talking about the people who've been attending, coming into their their parks, and he made a comment about we have become a sort of a daycare center for teenagers during summer and breaks and uh, unruly behavior. And so, so that caught people's attention. And, and then he went on to say that he, as an organization, they're trying to attract a, a different type of park goer. And he compared their visitors to uh, the Kmart and Walmart customers and said, we really are trying to, to get Um, We're really trying to bring in target uh, shoppers. And so you can imagine where this uh, creates some controversy. And a couple of things that I think are important to note, a CEO is on a call with investors. And so maybe there's a tendency to think that what you say in a a closed call, I'm guessing, I don't know for sure if this call was open to media, but let's just say it wasn't, to think, well, I, I can 
just speak and, and say things kind of off the cuff or uh, make remarks that will stay on this call. And that is always a, a word of caution for leadership and leaders of organizations. Anytime you're speaking internally, uh, externally uh, to a stakeholder group, wherever the occasion, the audience, you have to be prepared unless there's some understanding that this is a high level of secrecy. But even that, we, you know, people speak after they, they leave a meeting. You, you have to be prepared for comments to go beyond the setting that you're in. And so you can't be surprised if, well, that... Uh, and some investor calls are open to the media. So I don't know with this one, but you, you have to know that there's that possibility. And so if I'm going to say something that could come back or be broadcast much farther than, than this meeting we're having now, what is that going to look like and what are the implications? Another thing that I would, uh, is I'm, if I were giving a communications advice to, to leaders, is it's never a good idea to insult people on any level. And so if you're saying, hey, we, um, the, the types of customers we want in our parks, we want a different type of customers. And then we start breaking them up based on potentially where we think they, they shop, whether it's Kmart, Walmart, or Target, just uh, it, it seems to be very much tone deaf and, and out of touch with people who are attending your parks. I mean, I'm guessing you want, if you've got a theme park that has been struggling with attendance, you, you want to keep as many people as you can uh, come into to the parks. Now, you may have a different value proposition as you're increasing ticket prices, and, and that may appeal to certain people versus others, just depending on those who are shopping for a deal. I mean, as somebody who has four kids. I mean, we're always looking for deals and shop at, well, Kmart's not really a, around here these days, but you know, we shop at, at Walmart and Target. And so I, there, there's risk. It's never a good idea to alienate customers or potential customers. The part about being a daycare center for, for teenagers, I mean, maybe he has a point that we, but, but I would say, I think as a, as a park, as an organization, you have to kind of own that and realize, oh, we, maybe we haven't had safety and security in place, quality controls, et cetera. There's also kind of adding to this uh, some employees, at least they seem to be employees, uh, who are making comments on Reddit. So they have started a, a Reddit thread and talking about low morale and just how bad things are internally at Six Flags. And that's never a good thing. So now you have a, a CEO who's made these comments and it's put the organization in a less than desirable light. And then you have employees who are also saying, this is not a good place to work. His leadership is not effective. We had high hopes and it's, this is further example of he's not doing a, a good job. And so how does a CEO now try to, to, to get out of that? If there is kind of a silver lining, people are talking about Six Flags and maybe you haven't seen a lot of news about Six Flags in a long time. And I'm not saying that's a, a good thing, what they're saying, but it does give a little bit of an opening if the CEO can pivot, if he can recognize, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have compared these, these customers to the type of store that they, where, where they shop and, and really focus on what they're trying to do and, and move forward. It, it could be an opportunity to turn some negative stories into something more positive, but that will definitely take some work. Another story that I saw this week had to do with a product recall, Capri Sun fruit drinks. 
And I don't think we have any of those. As I was reading the story, I thought, do we have any of those in our refrigerator? Capri Sun Wild Cherry. Kraft Heinz recalled thousands of Capri Sun pouches on August 12th due to possible contamination from a cleaning solution. It's only the ones that are wild cherry flavored. And I believe they have a best when used by date of June 25th, 2023. So it seems like a narrow slice of the you know the number of Capri Suns that are out there. But one article I was reading said it it's possibly over 230,000 of individual juice packets were contaminated. And so you start thinking, especially again, if you have kids and do we have any of those juice boxes, those things we <laughs> over the summer seem to have them every day around our house. And product recalls are, are nothing new. And manufacturers and companies that produce food products, drink products, this has certainly happened before, where you've had something that is in the food product and it's, you know, can cause at, at a minimum uh, you know, bad taste, compromising the quality. And on the other end of the extreme, it can cause physical harm or even death. And so that, I'm not saying that's the case here, but those are the types of potential crises that food manufacturers always have to be prepared for. And so this is a, Kraft Heinz is calling it a voluntary recall. And this is coming from their statement. The voluntary recall comes after diluted cleaning solution, which is used on food processing equipment, was inadvertently introduced into a production line at one of our factories. They go on to, to say that they're they're investigating, trying to figure out what happened couple of things. When you have a major brand like Kraft Heinz, they produce all sorts of products. You know, they probably have the the strength, the brand awareness, and uh, just the ability to, to weather something like this. It, it's not, I, I think this type of situation is risky and, and more so for you know, maybe startup food companies, small restaurants, um, organizations that for something like this can be um, can do long-term damage to the brand. I think a question that has to be answered sooner than later is why wasn't this discovered before the product left the plant? Uh, the, the story that I'm reading now says that the company was made aware of it after they received complaints from customers about the taste, that it's, something's not right. And so that starts to introduce doubt, I think, in the consumer's mind of well, what else is contaminated and, and can I trust the quality of Capri Sun? When you see a headline, Capri Sun Recall Cleaning Solution, as a parent, absolutely makes me think twice about buying any Capri Sun product. And so how do, how do you reassure consumers that this is a very uh, isolated. This is not normal. This usually doesn't happen. And then how did it happen? And what are you doing to make sure it's not going to happen again or everything possible to ensure that it doesn't? Those are the, the key things in an, in an incident like this, not only explaining what happened, but what steps are you taking moving forward? Um, I felt like the the statement is a little, I don't want to say bland, but it just, it, it's, you can tell that they don't, want to say a whole lot here and, and they talk about food processing equipment inadvertently introduced. If I were looking at this, I'd say, what does that mean? Like, how did that, and they may not know at this point. And so there's, you, know, you don't want to say when you're guessing or speculating until you know, but that inadvertently introduced phrase, that makes me question what, what happened and how do you explain that? So we'll, again, big brand, Kraft Heinz, lots of products corporate communications team, I'm sure. That doesn't mean that they, you know, companies like that always 
handle these things well or communicate well. We've seen a number of companies that you know, struggle. And this, I, I think, potentially, uh, Kraft Heinz can move through this. And as long as it does not become a more widespread, other consumer complaints and people um, saying the same thing and, and this extending beyond the, the products that they have cited as saying that uh, are affected. So we'll see on that one. The last story that I was going to talk about, there was a Edelman Trust Barometer. So Edelman Public Relations Company, huge. I think they're the largest in the world. They do a trust barometer on different issues and they're doing surveys. And uh, the headline is 68% of investors say healthcare companies communicate poorly. And they go on to list some of the reasons why. And as potential investors looking at the healthcare sector, that healthcare is one of the industries that is pretty insulated in terms of people always need healthcare. And it's strong when the economy is good, when the economy is bad. And there's uh, value in that from an investment perspective. But potential investors are at times are frustrated because they feel like healthcare companies don't communicate well. And uh, just on, I think that's a range of things on the services they do, who they are as an organization, um, their uh, reporting and financial success and, and things, just how they operate and what it is that they do. Uh, to me, this is not a huge surprise because I think of healthcare communications as one of the most challenging and we have talked on this podcast many times about, uh, you know, we talked about the CDC and healthcare messaging and public health communications and how challenging it can be to talk about health in a way that is simple and concise and easy to understand. And so you think of healthcare companies and the range of companies that that can include. We have a couple of clients right now in healthcare, and that is a little bit new for, for my firm. I really like healthcare communications because you are telling a story, you're sharing information that is critical to people's lives. And so getting in the details of that has been fun for me. I've brought in some, some talent uh, to help uh, on different projects, uh, PR colleagues and, and other um, consultants who have a lot of experience in that sector. And so it's been interesting as, as we talk about different healthcare topics and have conversations internally about do patients care about this or does the consumer, depending on what you know, if it's a if it's a healthcare provider or if it's a healthcare company, and we're working with both at the moment. Again, going back to the lessons from political mailers, that sometimes less is more, and we want what is the most important thing we want people to remember and retain and walk away with from this communication piece. Not tell them everything we could possibly say about our company, and and those can be interesting discussions. And um, uh, this article in PR Week that is reporting on the Edelman Trust Barometer, the, the gist of it is that healthcare companies, there's there are opportunities to improve, that uh, this is a sector that really needs strategic communications. It needs people who are skilled and trained in reaching audiences and connecting messages to those audiences. It needs those voices in the decision-making process and, and how that can, from a financial standpoint, if you're trying to get investors and, and scale and be successful, how critical that is. So I just thought it was interesting. And again, I wasn't overly surprised, but I uh, confirmed you know, kind of what I have experienced uh, in our work as well. I think that's all for this episode. Some interesting stories. If you have story ideas or 
as I mentioned last week, guest interview suggestions, people you would like to hear on this podcast. I know I have some PR colleagues who listen. Please contact me, chad at mcleodcommunications.com. Remember, McLeod is M-C-L-E-O-D. Our firm website is mcleodcommunications.com. You can find more information about our capabilities and the services we offer and how we work with clients in the issues that we're talking about here on, on Message. As always, thank you so much for listening. Have a great weekend, everyone. I'll see you back again soon.